went in there with eyes open, but things that you don't expect to get wrong was the perfect storm. So, so literally, my investment was sort of completely wiped out. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Christopher Wong. Christopher, are you ready to rock? All the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Christopher Wong is currently the Chief Investment Officer of Banjaran Asset Management, an alternative fund management house based in Singapore. He joined the company in January 2019. Previously, he was with Aberdeen Standard Investment, and his... Last position was investment director for Asia Pacific and Emerging Markets. During his time with Aberdeen Standard Investments, where he spent 17 years with the company, pretty darn impressive, <laughs> he was a senior member of the team that managed both country and regional equity funds. He was also a board of directors for Aberdeen Islamic Malaysia and a commissioner of PT Aberdeen Indonesia. Prior to that, he was an associate director with Anderson Corporate Finance, acting as financial advisor for mergers and acquisitions, private equity, finance raisings, and valuation transactions. Christopher graduated with a BA, Accounting and Finance, from Heret Watt University, Edinburgh, UK, and he's also a CFA charter holder like me and a fellow of the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants, UK. Christopher, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. I started my career as an accountant, which is, uh, well, most people say it's a bean counter and spend one year in audit. I didn't really fancy that role. You know, when I was young, and I knew no better, and the easiest route was to take something simple. And then I managed to secure a role within the organization to do something slightly more exciting, which is M&A private placements, private equity valuations that set the, the groundwork to a lot of bottom-up type analysis. And then I joined Aberdeen uh, in, in 2001, the six years with Arthur Anderson slash Anderson Corporate Finance. What their sins, they collapsed uh, mm-hmm. on the back of Andron. And I didn't know what uh, fund management was because I, when I joined, it was the private equity outfit. It, that didn't last very long. They, sh- they shut that down after three, four months. And so essentially got into the industry by accident. And Aberdeen Standard, or at that time it was called Aberdeen Asset Management, was known to be bottom-up stock pickers. And I, I sort of enjoyed that that period of time when I was there, where I learned new skills, I visited companies, I met with the chiefs of the industry, and it's obviously rare to for big CEOs to sell their company to you. I still pinch myself when rethinking the, those moments, uh, a young chap giving uh, senior management a hard time, but those moments I cherish a lot, and and obviously I had a good set of team members who worked really well as a team. The culture was fantastic. And we thrive and grew together. And for those people that know me, when I joined the industry, I had uh, 
full head of hair, um, but it's no longer the same person in terms of my hairdo right now. I, I don't need additional help in the hair front in the morning. So that probably explains that it's not walk in the park, it's not buying and selling in the stock market. That there goes a lot of work and thinking behind every decision made to the portfolio. <laughs> so here I am. As I was telling my friends, uh, hitting the midlife crisis, trying to hone my entrepreneurial skills and build something, and then we'll see how it goes. Exciting. Uh, yes, we do keep the same hairstyle, you know. <laughs> we keep it really tight, you know, trimmed really tight. It's interesting, I would add into your bio and what you talked about is that I started as a sell-side equity analyst in um, 1993 in Thailand. So the evolution of Aberdeen over the years was pretty amazing to watch along with you know other funds and clients of ours. And the thing that was always stood out about Aberdeen is having a very disciplined methodology and also a very bottom-up methodology. Whereas with other fund management companies that I talked to as a sell-side analyst, you know, different fund managers had very different styles and they didn't necessarily have they weren't built around a particular style. So as you talk about this, you know, getting out to visit with the CEOs and buying companies, not just stocks, as you were talking about, it's really, really very true from my observation from the outside. So, yeah. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, it's sometimes in moment of madness where you want to try something different in terms of some, some of your personal investing where you, you try to push the boundaries in terms of the risk curve. As you mentioned earlier, Aberdeen is, is very rigorous. There's a set framework in terms of how we look at companies, how we put companies in a portfolio, how we build that position is very methodical and very consensual. So you tend to take a slightly different approach to test your investment ideas on the personal front end. And it's probably same temptation by a lot of people. You suck in by all these multi-baggers that some of your peers talk about. And I thought this was pretty interesting thing during the heydays when the oil prices was all-time high past the hundred dollar mark and that I think the peak was 130 and I was very close to a particular individual that became a billionaire as an investor and if he was previously from I mean and as Andrew said from Maybank Kim Eng I think it was Kim Eng those days and he retired early and invested his money and he had many multi-baggers and we ran through the rationale and he took a big placement of a sort of i wouldn't say it's, yeah it's, it's kind of a technology-based oil and gas company and it's listed in singapore they had a technology to sort of find oil through their software and it was sort of tried and tested in uh, parts of Europe and the family had skin in the game and they needed working capital to sort of explore their findings from that technology. 
So yeah, I took a steak. My friend took an even bigger steak. I guess the rest was history. Oil price collapse was next thing happened. The, the, the second thing was the technology didn't work as well as they represented it to be. So it was a massive, massive lesson to me where the, the share price literally tanked probably about close to 90% in the span of a year. So that was a painful lesson. So doing an autopsy and looking back, what went wrong was uh, I had to believe that someone that has had a good track record, that has the Midas touch in terms of investment would go no wrong. Was I was seeking affirmation in terms of the analysis. That's what, that's number one. Number two was I wasn't focused on things that I was trained in, in doing, I looking at the balance sheet, looking at the cash flow, looking at you know the ability to sort of survive, to survive, and having that wish that there is a hockey stake, the inflection point where everybody sort of smart investors looking at the inflection point to and the road to a multi bagger, and that inflection point didn't actually happen, and. I was hurt, essentially not looking at the fundamentals of the company and assuming that the status quo will continue in terms of, in, in this case, the oil price would stay high. So that was a massive lesson. Went in there with eyes open, but things that you don't expect to get wrong was the perfect storm. So, so literally, my investment was sort of completely wiped out. Okay, so let me summarize what I take away from this and also probably have a few questions along the way. But I think the first lesson I take from this is following great investors is not enough. We still have to do our research. Now, in your case, I'm sure you did plenty of research, but I think there's a lot of people listening that sometimes think, well, I've heard it from my friend and he's a really great investor and therefore I'm just going to follow. I think rule number one that I've learned from all of my interviews is we have to do our own research. So I think that's the first thing to me that I take away from it. The second thing is a common theme that we hear a lot is I call it macro factors, factors outside of the company. Let's say everything's great, you know, management's good, product's good. But if there's a macro trend that's massively moving against a company or an industry, it's extremely hard to win in investing against that macro factor. And here, the macro factor was simply that oil price was, was at its peak and it collapsed. And so that's kind of the second part. Also, a question that I would think in my mind when you talked about the effectiveness of the method of looking for oil of this company is always, I'm not saying it happened in this case, but always be on the lookout for fraud where people are misrepresenting the abilities of their products. And I do a lot of work with uh, Thomasat University here in Bangkok for masters in marketing. And we have 15 different teams that present business ideas that they're getting these ideas either from themselves or from an inventor who's you know definitely good but what the point is is that third party verification verification of something working 
with a, an actual customer of them helps us to understand, you know, whether it works. And then the final takeaway from me is also the concept of sizing the position. And you didn't talk about what this was relative to your overall wealth. But the point is, is that a 90% fall in a stock in an investment can actually be handled if it was 5% of your overall wealth. But if it's 50%, that gets to be extremely painful. And I think the lesson is always, you know, think about the sizing of a position when you're thinking about investing. So those are four big things that I take away. Is there anything you'd add to that? Nothing much. I mean, probably my accounting background sort of help as well in terms of you mentioned sizing did help because I didn't really have a big bad house. It was more of testing the idea that I have, but it was a deviation from what I was trained. And again, investments come with a lot of discipline. And I think a lot of mistakes are made by professionals and probably not not just tail investors or, or but also by professional managers that they don't follow the script and they're not disciplined when it comes to following what they have mapped out uh, initially and that that tends to be a recipe for disaster most of the time Okay, so let's move on to the next question, which is about, you know, based upon what you learned from this story and what you've continued to learn over your career, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And I think there's another way to ask this question is like, what is something you could have done that could have prevented this? I guess it's, it's again, understanding what you're buying that's number one, and doing your homework in terms of my big lesson from here is to focus on the cash flows. If it's a sort of a company with high capital intensity, you need to watch the cash flow because the follow-on capex and working capital could mean that you may have to be prepared for potentially another cash call. That I understood, but it's just that the issue here was compounded by a technology that we can't really verify. I mean, we, when it comes to, and that comes to the point where do you really trust those guys to deliver on the technical bit? And I thought I did. It didn't really work. And it comes down to, again, discipline. Um, the whole age of Warren Buffett, two rules of investing, don't lose money. And the second rule, don't, don't forget rule number one, and still, still applies. It's, it's all about managing risk. When you manage risk, the upside will take care of itself. And sometimes you're too avaricious in terms of just focusing on the upside and forgetting the downside. Mm, great. All right, well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I'm not taking a, a lot of risk personally. I think that I have some exposure to the markets, but I've reduced quite a fair bit of risk beginning to the middle of last year. I mean, valuations appeared lofty and there's a lot of geopolitical risk. And one thing is you cannot ignore, although we are bottom up, 
train. Uh, we cannot ignore the fact that the uncontrollable variables out there can massively impact your investment value. So you just have to ride it fine, but you know, you're just all in without more cushion. It could be painful and nightmarish as well. So you, you in this current situation where we are seeing a lot more geopolitical risks, I've, I've been you know putting more money into more secure return type investments in private debt funds, mm-hmm. the, the REITs turn out to be okay because interest rates have not gone up as fast as expected and a bit as a sluggish. Uh, uh, global growth environment. I, in fact, IMF overnight has reduced uh, the global growth rate, and and that will mean that we may be going to a new normal where there's little growth and the stock market may not perform. So you may want to gravitate towards higher yielding, more secure type investments, and and that could be optionality for you when markets really crept out. I mean, I'm not saying it's it has come down, but it has also inched back up. Not a full V, but it's still a partial V. If market goes through a tough, tough environment, it's ripe for it. I mean, it's a 10-year cycle, right? It's ripe for it. After massive steroid injection of liquidity, we may see markets sort of reverting back to mean and that would mean that there's an element of market correction out there. So be prepared to have some ammunition, some dry powder and uh, greedy when everyone is fearful. Right on. And just for the listeners out there, just because we'll never know when you're listening to this, this conversation is happening on January 22nd, 2019. And of course, nobody on this podcast, ourselves, either of us, are giving advice. But what we're doing is talking about our situations and what we see. So fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit MyWorstInvestmentEver.com. As we wrap up, Christopher, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, just be disciplined. Enjoy investing. I think it's it's one of the greatest stuff that you can carry with you even after retirement stimulates your brain. And hopefully everybody makes money in that process and uh, stay disciplined. Mm. And thank you for uh, having me in this forum. It was yeah. uh, a great pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And you remind me of my first boss in the business in 1993. One day he was at the trading desk and he was buying and selling. And I was just a young guy trying to be an analyst. And he looked up at me and he said, this is the cutting edge of capitalism. Here we are helping money flow to good investments and away from bad. And when he said that, it made me think of what you just said, which is enjoy investing. So... Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside. Thank you. Yeah.